Hey, you're listening to the Canadian Asian Missional Podcast, and this is episode 45, and it's our second conversation on the topic of worship. Let's do this. Yes, in continuing on with recording in very interesting places, we are recording in Austin, Texas's airport, getting ready to get back to Canada, and we're about to get on the plane in just a little bit over an hour. And Shu and John Becker here. How are you guys doing? Fantastic. Yeehaw. Yeehaw. Looking leaving, forward to go home. Leaving Texas. We didn't mention this last time, but the three of us are actually three-fourths of a worship Christian band named Here But Not Yet. And it's been so cool to write music and to lead worship in so many different contexts. So it's awesome that we get to do this together as we talk about worship. Yeah, shout out Mike Sito. He, he was saying, oh, you guys are there but not yet, but, you know, because you're three-fourths That's right. There. <laughs> We're not there. <laughs> what a jerk. It's... <laughs> Not yet, indeed. <laughs> we were never really there. <laughs> Anyways, after our last conversation on the topic of worship, we had stopped recording and there was just so much that came out in regards to following up that conversation because we really only hit the tip of the iceberg. And so we're going to continue this on and we felt that this would be a great follow-up from our last episode. So we're recording at the airport, by the way, so you might hear once in a while some announcements, hopefully, you know, that if someone's missing their flight... They, it's not us. It's not us. <laughs> we still got a little bit of time. <laughs> Bringing it back to the conversation, we talked last time in our last episode a little bit about how Asian cultures adopting Western styles of worship into our Asian context. We never got a chance to talk about where did Western cultures get their understanding of worship and what influences shape the way in which they approach liturgy and the way they approach songs. I think it's easy just to assume that, oh, that's just worship. But you know what? That came from somewhere. That was shaped from somewhere. So where did that version or that understanding of worship and those songs come from? And both of you have done master's degrees in worship studies. How has that come into the understanding of what worship is? Well, John's, John has two master's degrees, so well. I defer to him. <laughs> <laughs> but Shu actually has... Doctorate degree is not, well. oh. not a worship. Not a worship. Oh. So you can start. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It is such a loaded question, but yeah, worship is not white evangelical free worship that it yeah. is today. It came um, from somewhere. Yeah, like there's different traditions have different forms of worship, different uh, liturgy, order of service worship, and like it's not like Christianity started from Europe even in the Catholic Church or right. like, you know, this, or even Orthodox worship in like, uh, yeah, the schism, you know, of, of Catholic and the, the West and the East and Christianity. Like, yeah, worship has definitely been developed. There's a lot of, I think, wise people in different traditions that's helped to form in their particular denominations or Christian sects that they've been part of. But in general, like, it, yeah, worship comes from somewhere The the, the, uh, the liturgies of worship come from certain groups. So mm -hmm. you can't just say this uh, Western way of doing worship is the way to do it, but it is an expression sure. that we have today. But we, I think the better way to approach those 
expressions is to be aware of where they came from and acknowledge, you know, the pros and cons that it comes, whether it's from a, a scripture or traditional way of, of where it came from, but then also be, help our people be aware of how that influences their everyday life. Yeah, for sure, for sure. I mean, any kind of worship or liturgy came out of a people group and their understanding of faith, their understanding of how they connect with God, and part of their own culture is integrated into their understanding. Sure. Right after we were finishing recording the last episode, one of the things that was brought up was, hey, you know what? Some of those old worship songs, those hymns, were just co-opted from bar tunes. And they took the harmonies, they took the, you know, the way that they were sung, and just put Christian lyrics to it. <laughs> and that's, yeah. that came from somewhere, right? Interestingly enough, growing up, this is like a, a harsh word, but I hated the hymns because they were so boring and so archaic. And my, and <laughs> even my, then, even then, you were like, "That's that's old fashioned. That's archaic." Yes, absolutely. And my parents would well would tell me like, "This is how you bring reverence to God." And I was like, "You know what? If if that's what it means to honor God, no thanks." But where was the reverence from? Was it from the melody? Was it from the way the words came together? Like, why well, was it sacred in that way? It's a tough thing because I, in all honesty, and this is just my parents, but I'm sure that there are going to be many other first-generation like parents uh, who have been going to church their whole life. Like, I don't think they'll give you a very strong, informed like, answer as to why it should be like this. Mm. As opposed to, that's the way it's been. But yeah. then you go back even further, and it's like, it comes from somewhere. Sure. Well, it's... one thing we learned at Robert Weber's Institute for Worship Studies was the kind of danger of just nostalgia. Oh, right? yeah. That was one of the terms I was like, yeah, there's a lot of nostalgia in worship. Because if you're brought up in worship in a certain way, you nostalgically may remember, oh, yeah, that was such a great song, or that really hit me in, in a certain time in my life. It's, it's contextual. Yeah. So I, I understand why our parents are like, this song helped me to revere God, right? you know, or helped me really express myself in worship in that way. And I, I get it, but <laughs> I agree with you. Back then, I was kind of like, what is this? Like, okay, <laughs> that's nice. Yeah. Is this destined to happen 50 years from now? And people looking back at how people worshipped, how people chose and understood their songs and the way they worded things, and they'll think, hey, that's old-fashioned, that's archaic. I think it's on its road. It's on the way. <laughs> right? Because even like from the late 90s, when Matt Redman and like the, the, the British, like Holy, Tim Hughes and all those guys started coming in, yeah. it, got, it was huge. But now, this generation, it's like the Hillsong, the Bethel, the, like, like even the style of how music is played, like lyrically, everything's different. So, right. Like they, they young driven well-produced. Yeah. Like the, the, the young... The 20-something people now, they look at the songs that we were leading, which was like 10 years ago. I don't think they know it. They don't know it. Yeah. And they're like, <laughs> when you show them that, they're like, man, that's... that's, that's dated. That's, that's very dated. Yeah. Like, we like this. So, I don't know. Maybe it's because of our culture where it's like, even in music today, like the pop culture, it's driving things a lot more quicker than, than ever. Yeah. And it's... it's it, I think it causes you to at least consider, like, in what ways is this helping people to have a, a, forming, a forming relationship with God in their Sunday worship? Sure. And, you, you know, even back then, with hymns, 
it seemed like they were trying to pack in so much theology into their songs. And perhaps that was the way people engaged back then. And, and as you said, Shu, earlier, how it connected with their life circumstances and how it touched them in a specific way. And this definitely is part of that. Well, may, maybe that's what singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs meant in, yeah. in, in New Testament. It's just like they're basically singing scripture. But they're also singing whatever spiritual songs really mean, like the experience of their spirituality, their, their relationship with God, hopefully. Sure. I do see sometimes in Christianity as a built-in contextual thing that's happening. Yeah. And especially in, let's just say, music. We're just talking about music here, right? Sure. The, in the worship wars and, and, and stuff. But yeah, today I, I kind of find it, most people like, like, like John's saying, it's more about the pop sensibility, which pop comes and goes. Yeah, it changes right? Kitchy, so much. pop. It's like it's only here and then it's gone. It's it's fleeting. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> but but it, and it's not that. Oh, and I don't want to say the other side. Oh, hymns are the sacred, most sacred, or something. I really do appreciate hymns. I think sure. there's a rich tradition in theology that that teaches us a lot of things. But there, there's a lot of modern songs that that are really rich, right? And have taught us. I remember when Hillsong got critiqued the heck out of for Jesus is my boyfriend <laughs> songs, right? But like they're starting to write some really good stuff nowadays. I don't sure. know, like. Some, yeah. Yeah, like sure. recently, like uh, King of Kings. Like I, I was just like, this song just points you back to the richness of the, uh, of the gospel of old and where Christianity came from. And I'm just like, I, I'm like, I, I love it. Talking about the kingship of Christ. It's just good it also stuff. brings in the idea of like, like this is the church. Yeah. The church, yeah. The church that there Christ has like established and we will not forget, but we will stand forward and yeah. look forward to that. And not just me, 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 I, I love you, I love you, yeah. something. This, it bring, you know, we were talking about the last episode, how do you get people together? And I think it's things like what songs like this are saying. Sure. People coming together, something that Christ or God has brought in, and it, it brings people together and brings a heart. Sure, Absolutely. Here's a statement. Agree or disagree? People form the theology more from the worship experience and from songs rather than from reading their Bible. Yeah, I think it's the, it could be the entry point. Um, definitely. Our experience is, is definitely, that uh, for most people, I would say, the entry point. Like, not many people read the Bible and go, this is what worship is. <laughs> sure. <laughs> or something. Or even their understanding of God. Like, do they form yeah. their understanding of God maybe from from more of the lyrics of a song rather than, you know, Carl Bart, Martin Luther. <laughs> you were like, that's, definitely that's not off. Carl Bart. Yeah. But yeah. <laughs> Def- that's definitely <laughs> off the rails. But like, you know what? So many people can, you know, remember the songs and it just sticks rather than maybe like, oh, like what's that theological idea, right? I, I forget who the, the person said. Maybe it was, I don't think it was Bob Coughlin, but there's something that he quoted saying that show me your songs and I will show you what you believe in. Oh, what, wow. What's your, what's your value in your theology? Sure. So, like, that in itself tells volumes that more and more people are affected by, by this culture of music today mm-hmm. as opposed to the word. We, we were just at the Austin Stone church, Community Church yeah. uh, for their Novel Renewal Conference. And what I've always appreciated about a church like Austin Stone is... Although I would say they're more conservative than theology, like the way the worship comes across is not just, we're only going to show you that theologically, 
but we have songs as well to bolster our expression of emotion and our our uh, relationship with Jesus. Yeah. And I've always appreciated that they're just like I'm not. We're not just going to do hymns and new hymns. Okay. <laughs> that's what I think some churches do, but they ha- they have a great balance. I think of like both the the sh- showing who God is. Um, being more reverent, but at the same time being so expressive in, in their whole whole being, and you can just see how they worship too. It's fantastic. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, th- I think one of the things that we were talking about is that they had a strong priority in terms of helping others worship, and that it would be a communal experience. And that was so amazing to hear. That it's like, wow, like you know, that's one of your priorities, that worship is not just about expressing something, but it's about how do we draw people in together to worship. And we just talked about that last time, about how the communal and the corporate nature of Asian cultures, you know, that's kind of built in already, right? But the expression is a bit harder at yeah, times for sure. in Asian, cult- Asian immigrant culture. And, and let's talk a little bit about that, because, you know, when... Things are adopted. There's still kind of a foundation that it is adopted into. Like, especially in the context of the Canadian Asian churches, when things are adopted, you know, what influence does the Chinese side have or, like, you know, the Chinese heritage have in terms of their language, their spirituality? And what does that mean to think about, like, okay, how do we make a decision about what does worship mean for us moving forward? I'd love to talk about the Chinese side. And I know John can talk about Korean, which is definitely different yeah like the stuff he shared with 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 us before is just like there's some really interesting things on the chinese side i think most chinese churches you can say the term is reverence like they just want a very big reverence and it's the reverence at times doesn't come out with an expression of emotion and even in in a lot of chinese families there's not a lot of emotion that's shown as much as just because anger should know. Okay. Oh man! I don't get to go there. Oh man! But, uh, There's some saltiness. Angry Asian man. Okay, <laughs> but uh, what Chinese influence I think culturally comes in the worship is very much a sense of of reverence. I hear a lot of people, even first, second, third generation, even into them, they're, they're like, "We want some space for that reverence. We okay. want that space to be very lifting up God and and, and not being so irreverent, not being so just kind of." coming in casually it's not it's sure. not a casual thing to worship god and i think to some de- to a lot of degree the the chinese culture reinforces that yeah but where does that reverence come from in chinese culture where does it originate out of <laughs> the patriarch yeah the patriarch, sure. the patriarchy yeah. honoring you know yeah. your honoring your parents or your grandparents or your family history yes. is a big part of it yeah for sure is that a confucianistic oh yeah history? i could definitely yeah there's definitely part of that Tri- but it's tribalism too to a certain degree that just you need that that hierarchy in place and then there's a certain reverence that you pay and then of course if, if you become a christian you kind of cling to the more kind of oh i well let's revere god god is the highest then right so and then we need some structure that keeps going hierarchy that goes down from that and i'm wondering if some of that comes from just the history i mean what would it mean like for a chinese person to revere the emperor and how did that kind of play out? Yeah. And even today in kind of the, the political and social environment of where China is, like there is reverence for, you know, the, the government and such like that. Maybe some of it has just always been part of the Chinese culture that they've also, you know, merged together with their understanding of worship. And, and I think that's why there's a reaction with a lot of second, third generation, you know, a lo- there's a lot of people who react and go, 
I, I, this is not my way of expressing right. worship or, or that I'm comfortable in. And I, I'm meeting with people who are not Asian, not Chinese, and I want to be worshiping in a more multicultural setting, which sure. allows me to be more expressive yeah. to some degree. And I think that's the, there, it's a reaction. Sure. I, th- I think it's a reaction. But those who are kind of, um, I, I had a professor in one of the seminaries that I attended to in the past. His name was Chip Stam. And what he, he told me that still reverberates in my mind today is the mature worshiper can worship in any style. Right. Like that you're able to worship regardless whatever that style is, as long as you are, the, you know, as a mature worshiper, understanding, being more aware of where this came from, what's going on, and that, hey, we're, we're in this together. Sure. And there are people at different kind of levels of, of, of faith and maturity, but we're in this together. Hmm. And I was like, I always took that to heart, and you know he's he's with the Lord now. But like, you know, remember his words. Yeah. Do you think that he was referencing both the liturgy and the songs? Yeah. 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 Most definitely. It's just almost that the expression of it shouldn't stop you from being able to worship God and worship God, worship God with you know those around you. In fact, there's kind of a beauty behind that too. Is is being able to also share in another culture's expression of worship and to be pushed in your understanding of worship as you encounter that and as you are participating in it as well. And then I remember just being, you know, someone who grew up in kind of a traditional, more traditional styles of worship and then seeing, you know, worship bands. And it's like, okay, that's kind of worship. But then also seeing, you know, more charismatic, you know, expressions of worship and perhaps even worship from different cultures and the way people even respond, some people being very emotional and almost hyper-emotional, but also others appreciating the, the reverence, the reverence, or the kind of, I don't want to say stoicism, but I'm just saying like it is part of how people have understand or people have lived out their worship. Speaking of charismatic John Beck. John Beck, that's been, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think it's kind of interesting. Like, if you go back a little bit, I don't know, maybe like 30 years ago or so, I think what people, when they think about Koreans, they look, they see Koreans as like extremely expressive in their their prayer and their worship. Okay. Like very, very demonstrative. Sure. Very free. But if you kind of ask the question, where does this come from? You'll realize that it's like, wow, how does it get there? Like for the missionaries to come to Canada, to Korea... It was like Presbyterians and Catholics right. were the kind, of the kind of the big missionaries that were coming in. Yeah. Originating from any specific part of the world? Scotland. Scotland, okay. So, and there's more to that. Uh, I can't recall like the, the times and yeah. places and whatnot. But yeah, we have all these liturgical people who are coming in and they're, teach, they're preaching the gospel and many people are accepting Christ. But as time goes on, if, if you look at any... Presbyterian setting, their worship is very liturgical sure. and it's very staunch, <laughs> right? But you go to a lot of the Korean churches today and they're very free, right? A lot of um, outward expression of like singing really loudly, hands in the air, jumping, and where is this coming from? <laughs> because you don't see that in a in a Presbyterian setting, right? Right. So you start to ask the question, like. If the Presbyterians didn't teach that to them, then where are they getting this from? Mm. Like, charismatics? Like, Pentecostal? Possibly. Like, at some point they did come. Sure. Right? But I think a lot of it comes from, like, expression from Korean 
tradition. Korean tradition, okay. So, like, Koreans are known to, to be very spiritual. Mm. And, like, like, deep prayer, very demonstrative in praying, seeing all that kind of stuff. Like, where do you come from? I think a lot of it comes from our, our culture of shamanism. Okay. Right? So, if you see anything that they're doing, it didn't come from Christianity. From Christianity. Oh, like, okay. a lot of it was adopted and brought into it. Mind you, later on, when Pentecostalism and charismatic movement came, that kind of really bolstered it a lot. It kind of reinforced it. Right? It reinforced it. Yeah. Because I do believe one of the biggest churches in, in the world is, is in Korea, and this is a charismatic church. I, so, and that's why I think some, some cultures are naturally suited to some specific expressions of worship. It's reinforced, like something like that. Like the worship might look more like this pre-modern supernatural kind of thing that people are like, oh, I, I gravitate to that more. And then now it's like we're, we're in this more past modern rationalism. It's like now it's postmodern. It's like let's let's all have a little like you know different expressions. Everyone can just come in and bring <laughs> a little bit of everything you know together. And then people are trying to do new things like that. That, that is so interesting. What was really interesting is that while you see a lot of charismatic worship in Korea, here. Like in Toronto, there's many, many Korean churches yeah. and predominantly Presbyterian. If you go to their first generation worship yeah. service, it's very staunch. Okay. Hmm. Like they've, they've gotten back to this strong liturgical format of worship where okay. it's about the hymns. You got to make sure you're wearing that suit. If you're <laughs> not, you're, you're not respecting God. Right. That's um, a reverence thing again, right? Maybe even in a weird way the Canadian context influenced that too. Like, it's just like, okay, maybe don't bring too much of your culture. <laughs> Especially back then when there is the immigration trend for Koreans coming in, maybe there is some influence on there. And like, oh. maybe we won't be as Pentecostal charismatic here. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. This is so interesting, especially thinking about kind of the ways in which people have worked through it and where people have landed. And perhaps just kind of wrap up our episode for today. Perhaps we can talk a little bit about, you know, has any specific Asian faiths, religions influenced the way in which we think about worship? I guess first thing is I could, I could throw out like a few scholars that I think would be interesting to check out. Amos Young, he's written a book called The Future of the Evangelical Church and talking about Asian American theology in, in the diasporas, looking towards theologians who have tried to see how uh, Asian spirituality, Asian uh, perspective of, of Christianity has impacted the church in, at large and the diaspora at large, I think those are interesting things to check out. But for me in, in particular, what I, what I think about it, I for one miss bringing in my, my ethnic culture into where I'm at. Okay. A lot of times I'm reading mostly white theologians white, white pastor authors who are, you know, quote-unquote successful or whatever. And I've, I've had to learn to, can I also learn from my, you know, Asian brethren? Right. Um, Soon Chang Ra, right? Like we, we interviewed him before. And, and getting a lot of different takes uh, coming from an Asian, you know, Asian perspective and seeing how I think the Asian side impacts, like let's just say where, where I'm at. I, like something as simple as this, okay? I don't know if you guys have thought about this. Why don't we use Asian instruments in our worship? Oh, okay. It's not cool. <laughs> it may look too like you're trying too hard or something mm. like that. But at the same or does time... It, or does it evoke 
something else? Does it like have other meanings that perhaps like you know we don't understand because yeah. it's connected with something? Else? Yeah, can it maybe connected with something that people are like, no, 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 that that's bad. That's a different religion altogether when you right. use that instrument. Yeah. But at the same time, that that is part of who I am as a as a Chinese person, for example. Like, a, when's the last time I've heard of Erhu? Yeah. In worship, and I'm, I don't want to just flippantly say let's just start using these instruments. But is there space to educate our congregation to go like uh, so, this? Rings out in my mind a lot. My I remember. <laughs> I guess both my both my parents said this to me. I kept going like. I'm not doing this because you told me to. It's like, I'm Canadian. And they're like, remember you're Chinese first. <laughs> it's like, you're a Chinese Canadian. And I was like, uh, okay. And I used to laugh about that and say, that's so dumb. But as I've gotten older, I've learned to appreciate more my biculturalness. Sure. And I'm also realizing how much, you know, there, there is an importance to Chinese church, Chinese, the Christianity that that's happened within the, the Chinese people in general, like the history of it in China and whatnot, and now immigrated from Hong Kong to here. Sure. So can I also see how God has been working through that too? Yeah. And can I also show people that I, I'm unashamedly Chinese. Sure. I'm not just Canadian, even though I, I lean towards things that are more Canadian and more Westernized, but I also want, the more and more older that I've gotten, I'm like, can I, you know, use some of this, um, both from, you know, maybe a missional opportunity so that people also feel their uh, Christian worship isn't just Euro-centric <laughs> or modern rock worship, yeah. you know, and give them a, a different taste of other things. But, you know, I say a lot of stuff, but <laughs> to be able to actually implement that is sure. a little harder, especially if people don't play those instruments anymore. <laughs> But it's it's more than that. It's just like also how do we journey alongside with our churches and those who we are discipling to to have that on our mind when we think about like what does worship mean for us? And I mean, what you're saying is showing a lot of thoughtfulness. I mean, the easiest way to think about, you know, about moving ahead is it's more easier to adopt kind of a perspective and just reject another right just to be like okay i'm gonna adopt the western and then i'm gonna uh, reject my asian well it's kind of like i think we're reading a book in our missional conversation group called the pastor of secular age and andrew root the author kind of warns us against you know the the novelty uh, everything uh, that's new right right to, to that, it's not just about new 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 it's like how do you also appreciate the uh, the old, where it came from. And I think that's also within our culture. Our, our ethnic culture, too, plays a part in that. And I think God's working and has been working throughout, you know, the different cultures, different ethnicities as well. Yeah. For personal past, I think even to the moment where I felt the call to go to do my MDiv in worship, I've always had this mind of pursuing what worship meant. Sure. And what that meant for for the church and like it was never enough for me to sing the song because it felt right and it seemed to be biblical but it really pushed me to think like well what is the implication of singing a song like this to, to like call people to participate in something like this sure yeah and so from that point it kind of caused me to think beyond my, my, my Korean church like heritage to even the, the Chinese heritage now. Yeah. 
for face value, it feels like it's not really that different. But as you get closer to people and start to engage and listen to people's stories and their own struggles and their ideals of church, there are like differences. Yeah, like, for sure. Um, they're very subtle, but they are there. And so for me, it causes me to go back and think, okay, why are we saying this? And how? And now the question is like, how are we, or how am I going to be participating and helping people to tell the the biblical story sure. in our worship? There's a lot to continue to kind of dive into, and to be able to navigate through the tensions of you know, different generations or different kind of cultures or by being bicultural or tricultural and to understand what does that mean for worship and to be coming together to form worship that comes out of a specific community. The future can be very bright to think about how unique that can be because it comes out of history and culture and influences, but at the same time, it could be something that, you know, finds expression in the faith of a community and how that community is continuing to be formed. All right. Thank you guys so much for joining us on this conversation today. And we're signing off from Austin airport. And, you know, the next time we'll be recording, we'll most likely be back in Toronto, Canada. And we'd love to hear how you have responded to both the last episode and today's episode and how you have work through what worship means for you and for your context, especially from a Canadian-Asian perspective as well. If you haven't done so already, please remember to rate and review and subscribe to our episodes and share it with others. And remember to do that on whatever platform you are currently listening to our podcast on. And if you'd like to reach out to us and continue to dialogue, we'd love to hear from you. You can reach us on Twitter or Facebook or email or now Instagram. You've been listening to the Canadian Asian Missional Podcast. Thanks so much for joining us on this journey. We'll see you next time. Peace. Bye.